Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. We hope to enrich your life through reaching, serving, giving, and building. As you listen to this teaching, be inspired to fulfill your God-given destiny through the power of His Word. Have you ever dreamed about having a, a little place, a little retreat? spot you can get to, a little cabin, a little whatever outside of the city and just to escape to a getaway. And well, I mean, we dreamed about that since I was in my 30s and, and now I turned 60 about four weeks ago and, and we were able to, to, uh, to get something like that th just three years ago. And uh, I've, all, I've said, man, I should have done this in my 30s. Why did I wait so long? And, and the reason I did, because I couldn't, I couldn't get it done in my 30s. I had to wait until I got, got to this place in my life. And so we found this little place about an hour outside of Oklahoma City. And we go out there and it's like we escape the pressure of life. And it's, it's got a, it's a, it's a little 40 acre, uh, it's kind of hunting ground. It's scrubby, it's rough, it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. And, and, but it does have a lot of turkey and deer on it. Come on, somebody say Amen. I have a vegetarian daughter. Uh, my youngest daughter is vegetarian, and I've, I've yet to shoot or kill anything on the, profit, on the property because I'm afraid she'll disown me if I do. So I do have, I do have a, a gun range set up, and, but I have killed skunks and things like that. But I remember we, they were coming in for Thanksgiving, and, and I wanted to shoot a turkey from the from the place and, and, and prepare turkey. And she, she told me, Dad, you can't do that. That's wrong. I'm a vegetarian. You cannot be here. And I said, okay, I won't. Well, that, normally there are groups of 5, 10, 15. I've seen as many as 40. On Thanksgiving morning, I swear, on Thanksgiving morning, I wake up, look out the front porch, porch and it looks like turkey parade. I counted, listen to this, over 90 turkey walking through the front yard, and they're going, nah, 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 Somehow they'd gotten the message that no turkey hunting was allowed. Anyway, this, this, this place has a little two-room uh, house on it, and then it has this gigantic garage uh, when we looked at it, or storage area, garage. And I mean, it's big enough you could park six cars in this thing. Like, why in the heck would you need anything like that? Well, what I found out was the people that we would get this from, they were antique dealers. And they owned two or three stores in Oklahoma City, and they would store their stuff out there. And I mean, it looked like hoarder's heaven. You walk in there, I mean, you can barely get around. There's stuff everywhere. And I walk in, I think, look at all this junk. And then I look closer and I'm like, look at all this treasure. And I would see pieces that were rusted that just needed some attention to be polished and finished. Or pieces that had a scratch or a broken leg on something or whatever. I mean, I'm going through here and I'm like, wow. Look at all this stuff that ju it's just unfinished. It just needs some attention. It just needs to be followed through, seen through. Look at all the potential in these items everywhere. I tried to negotiate them throwing all that in. 
and I found out how expensive that junk really was, okay, and couldn't make the deal. But I saw all of these beautiful things that others might call junk that were just interrupted, unfinished. You know, Christianity is much like all of those items in that storage building filled with stuff. Christianity is littered with the lives of people who have interrupted, incomplete, and unfinished callings from God. You can see the potential in the dream of that life, of that person, of that family, of that business, of that assignment that God gave them. But for whatever reason, something was interrupted, something was stopped short, something was unfinished, something was unfulfilled, and now it's laying littered in a trash heap, it seems, not going to be completed. Today I'm going to talk to you about how to avoid those interruptions and how to respond in the way that we see some of the the characters in the Bible did to get back on course to finish the dreams that the enemy may have interrupted your life, to finish the assignments that God started in your life and interruptions that Elijah faced and Elisha faced are very much like the interruptions you and I face. Avoiding the interruptions of life, the interruptions of the enemy, may be one of the more important things we do to fulfill our destiny. Come on, somebody say amen. Amen. So we're going to be looking at a relationship of the life between Elijah, a great prophet, and Elisha, the younger generation, who would be a prophet who would do twice as much as his predecessor, Elijah. It's a story of of a generational relationship. It's a story of two men that had great assignments. You may say, I'm not Elijah. You don't have to be Elijah. You don't have to stand before a king. But I'm telling you, there is a story for your life. There are assignments for your life. You don't know the lives you affect because of your fulfilling your calling. That's why the enemy works so hard to interrupt what God may be doing in you. Elijah had a huge calling interrupted when we read his story. Elisha, the younger, had a huge calling that may have never been launched had Elijah not overcome his interruption. My friend, I want to tell you something. You're not just living your life for yourself. You may think what happens in your life and what you do with your life is only about you, but I'm telling you, there are many, many others that are tied to what God does through you. And as you fulfill what God has in your life, you're going to be launching others not only in your family, but in your sphere of influence, in your workplace, in your friends, in your future relationships. You have no idea how many destinies will be affected because you choose to not let interruptions stop you, but to pick back up the baton and run the race that God has for you. Come on, let's thank God for that truth, for that understanding. Amen? Now, let's pick the story up with Elijah. We find him in 1 Kings 19 hiding in the cave of Mount Horeb. Why is he hiding? He's running from something. He's actually running from someone. If you're not familiar with this story, Elijah was a, 
quite the prophet, but we don't know much, we don't know anything about him until he comes on the public scene standing before King Ahab, king of Israel, who would be the most wicked king Israel would ever have. Ahab's wife was Jezebel. Has anyone ever heard of Jezebel before? And so Elijah would stand before the king, call the king to repentance. He wouldn't, he would declare a drought on the land. It wouldn't rain for three years. And now Jezebel has ordered the assassination of Elijah's life, and he's running, he's hiding. Can I tell you this? God's assignment is not for you to isolate yourself and hide in a cave. Come on, somebody. It's not for you to separate yourself, isolate yourself, hide from the enemy, hide from the rest of the world. Ahab, you have to understand that Israel, King Ahab, how does, how does King Ahab become the head of Israel, God's nation, God's people, and it be so wicked? Well, Ahab and his wife, his wife really brought a lot of this in, and he, but he surrendered to it. Ahab, he acknowledged Jehovah God existed. But what he did was he allowed her and the influence of paganism in that time to mix spiritual beliefs, to compromise it from being simply the worship of the one true God, Jehovah, and to now add in the influences of other religions, other forms of worship and paganism. It is exactly what happens in our world, in our society today where Christianity comes under attack, the gospel comes under attack, and in the name of trying to relate to the modern culture, we bring in all of these different beliefs, we mix them in, water down the gospel, we begin to communicate that God's word is not infallible, that it's not authoritative, when in fact it is infallible, it is authoritative, it is the spoken word of God, unchangeable. Come on, somebody say amen. And in an effort to be relevant to today's culture, we compromise our spirituality, and it's a mixture that's no longer the gospel. That's what was going on. As a matter of fact, through the history of of the the kingdom, and you follow through the scripture, that's what would happen. These mixtures would happen, corrupting the faith, then God would eventually send revival and restore the people, put them back on track until it was mixed again. Ahab had let this come to an all-time low in time of compromise. And so God finds Elijah in the cave. If you're hiding from God, if you're hiding from an assignment, if you're turning your back on something you know God wanted to do through you or you know that God didn't finish through you, God knows the name of your cave. He knows where to find you. He finds Elijah, and here's what he says to him. Verse 15, the Lord said to him, Elijah, go back the way you came. Everyone say, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram, or Syria. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. Remember, Ahab was king at that time. And anoint Elisha, here's this next generation prophet, son of Shaphat from Abel, Mahola, to succeed as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 
7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Elijah was just arguing with God before that he's the only one who hasn't compromised. You ever felt that way before? I'm the only one who's serving God in this family. I'm the only one that's, you know, whatever it may be. And God said, oh, by the way, Elijah, there are 7,000 others just like you. Verse 19, so Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went to him, threw his cloak around him, his outer garment, it's called a mantle, it's symbolic of his calling, threw his cloak around him. Elisha, the younger, then left his oxen and ran after Elijah, the older, Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come to you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. Watch this. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. I mean, he burned the bridges to the past so he couldn't go back. Amen? He didn't even cook his, his, his ox, oxen Fred and bring the meat along with him. I mean, he, he, he didn't want to warm up Fred to have for a ham, an oxen hamburger later and think, Fred, and want to go back. No, he burned every, bit, every bridge that was going on, right? So Elijah had to break through the interruption that had happened in his life where he was afraid, where he was threatened, where he went to a cave. Let me talk to you about avoiding what has interrupted your calling. Let me tell you how Elijah responded, how each one of us can respond to complete the unfinished callings that have been interrupted in our lives. The first thing we have to do is simply, number one, stay humble. Come on, everybody say it after me. Say, stay humble. Staying humble sounds easy, But staying humble is one of the greatest acts of surrender you will have to practice over and over and over again. Again, I'll ask this again. Has anyone anyone here been married for 10 years or more? Come on, hold your hand up. How many of you know it takes loads, truckloads of humility to remain married? Come on. Because you know you're right. You come into a marriage knowing you're right. Am I right? I mean, I was trained properly how to fold towels. My mama trained me how to fold towels. I was trained properly how to put the toilet paper on the toilet paper roll, but I found out apparently my mama didn't know how to fold towels. And repeatedly, I had to be retrained on how to fold towels. It was not just an insult to me. It was an insult to my mama. Come on. And I had to stay humble to not have World War III. Come on. I remember one of the first meals after we were married, my wife made for me, uh, Nancy, she made me this little dainty sandwich of toast and trimmed the edge and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. She put that on my plate and I ate it and I said, the appetizer was good, now where are the meat and potatoes? (laughs) I had to humble myself in that marriage. Come on, anybody else know what I'm talking about? And men, trust me, she has to humble herself too. If, if uh, you're currently not helping with the laundry and, and 
your wife is, is, is blessing you with helping with your laundry, trust me, she's humbling herself, picking up your shorts and your socks and your smelly shirts. Come on. You, marriage is filled with a lot of humility. Am I right? Yeah. Well, to do what God has called us to do, we have to stay humble. Now, how do we know that God was telling him, stay humble? Get out of that cave, humble yourself. Well, he said to him, the Lord said to him the very first thing, go back the way you came from. Remember, he ran from Jezebel. If I were him, I would have said, go back. I'm not humbling myself and going back. I went and did what you wanted me to do, and they didn't like me there. I didn't make a difference. They're trying to kill me, God. I'm not humbling myself and going back there. Matter of fact, I'm the only one that loves you. And that's why God said, no, there are 7,000 more just like you. If I were him, I would say, uh, no way, God. But God has a funny way of dealing with us about humbling ourselves to be the first one to forgive in a relationship. Come on, somebody. To be the first one to say I was r- 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 wrong. God has a funny way of humbling us to go back. Why? To finish that calling, to finish that assignment, to to whatever it may be. Come on, amen? Amen. Stay humble. Elijah pulled away from his assignment because he had left in fear and pride. He'd been disgraced. God wanted Elijah to humble himself and to go back to the place God had called him. I have had God call me to humble myself. He's humbled me. I can't count the times this has happened. And my pride just doesn't want to admit it. I need to humble myself to finish, to love, to forgive, to do what he's called me to do. In the early years of our church, our work of Youth America had been going on before the church began. We've We've had, we run summer camps five days, four nights, and, and now we've had over 125,000 teenagers over these years that have been a part of our summer camp. So we just finished six weeks with 52, 5,300 students. And, and so during these early years, I would do a lot of traveling, speaking at youth conferences. Then, this is when I was younger. I had a full set of hair. It was dark, you know, the good old days. Anyway, and so I had, I was preparing to leave the house, and our kids were Two of them are preschool age. Natalie, I think, was, uh, was seven years old, something like that, our oldest. And, and uh, Natalie, Grant, and Megan, our three kids. And, and so I remember before I left, I don't know what it was, I just got this in my mind that there was a drip in the sink, in the kitchen sink, that had to be fixed. And I remember telling my wife, I, I don't know why that's what was important to me. Sometimes we husbands, we just are weird. Can I say that? And so I said, Nancy, call the plumber. Please get this fixed. I'm going to be gone three or four days. The only thing I want done, it was one of those moments, the only thing I want done is this sink drip fix. Okay, honey, I'll do that. And she hugged me and kissed me. The kids sent me off and went down, preached. I mean, the glory cloud fell in the service. It was a God movement. I get on the plane. I'm heading back, and I'm thinking, Jesus is good. Serving God is good. Oh, I love this. And apparently... Somewhere on the flight back, I was sitting by someone whose demon spirit jumped over on me before I got home. And 
I go, I get to the house, and I walk in, and, and it's one of these hallmark family greeting moments. The front door opens. My wife and kids are, are there. I mean, this is a precious thing. Daddy! You know, and they throw their arms around me, and Nancy hugs me, and what do I do? Well, not me. Under the control of the demon spirit that I picked up on the airplane, I push through, I walk through right over to the sink. I check the thing, and it's still dripping, and I turn around, and I mean, I am, I'm not responsible for what I was about to say. So I tell Nancy, step in, let's go into the study living room here. We shut the doors with the kids outside the doors, and we begin to have one of those intense discussions. That's a kind way of saying we were yelling at each other, okay? We, I was angry, I was mad, she started crying, and I just acted like a jerk, it was ridiculous, and we were arguing, we were fighting, and, and, and the kids obviously could hear what we were doing all over a, a dripping sink. And so while we're in the middle of it, the doors to the study uh, living room open, and it seemed like this billowing cloud of smoke begins to roll into the room. At least this is the way I remember it. And this little red-headed Long red hair with, with uh, curly little seven-year-old prophetess steps through the cloud with her finger bent and pointing at us, walking into the room, and she declares real loud, she did, Mommy, Daddy, in the name of Jesus, stop fighting. She says, Daddy, put your arms around her and hold her, and makes me do it. And Mommy, put your arms around Daddy and hold him, and makes her. And then she held us, and we just broke and humbled ourselves and repented, I did, and restored our relationship. May God give you a seven-year-old red-headed curly-haired prophetess to walk into your room anytime you need it when you need to stay humble. Amen? Amen? Did you know the joy of that season of life was interrupted over a dripping sink? Now, I know that sounds silly, but some of you have stories that are a lot sillier than that. We let the silliest things, the smallest things, the most unimportant things Interrupted. It's not a death threat from Jezebel coming, running for our life. Oh, no, it's something big like we forgot to pick up the bread and got into a fight on the way home. My friend, stay humble. Stay humble. Humility will take you further than pride will ever get you. Stay humble. Elijah would have to humble himself, and not only Elijah would have to humble himself, but Elisha, the younger, would have to humble himself to fulfill his calling. Elijah staying humble, he humbled himself to go back to finish his assignments, em empowered him to go and call on Elisha to be his replacement. That's a pretty humbling thing to choose your replacement when God tells you to do that. But Elisha, the younger, would have to humble himself. First off, Elijah, it was known he was hiding from Jezebel. It was known he was running. He may have looked like a coward publicly 
And Elisha, when, when the older Elijah came and said, you're going to be a prophet that follows me, he could have thought, everybody knows you're running. Why would I want to follow you? But he humbled himself. He came from a family of substance. They had 12 sets of oxen and plows. He was running the 12th pair. They were a family of great substance in the, in the, agri, the agri economy or the agricultural economy of the day. He was going to give all that up and follow a man who, you know, I mean, would just, he was borrowing a meal from a widow that we read about earlier. Elisha had to humble himself. I wonder where you may need to humble yourself to pick back up your calling, swallow your pride, humble yourself, and say, Pastor, I'm here to go at it again. I'm here to pick up this place of service. Uh, husband, wife, I'm here to pick this up and finish it. I want to be true to what God has called me to do. We all have to stay humble to be able to finish what God has given us to do. You see, we're going to constantly be in a place in our lives where we need to humble ourselves and trust God with what he is doing, even when it does not make sense. You see, God told Elijah there are three things to do. Anoint two kings, king of Israel, king of Syria, and your replacement. He only did one. He anointed his replacement. God gave him a vision and a dream he could, he could not even finish in his own lifetime. He could not finish in his own generation because God thinks generationally. The other two kings, Elisha would anoint them. Jehu would not be a king until three kings after Ahab, the wicked king of Israel. Hazael, he would anoint Hazael king, who would be king of Syria. So Elisha goes to finish this assignment after Elijah's dead. And he goes to finish the assignment. He anoints him to be king, the next king of Syria. And then the spirit opens Elijah's mind and shows him, speaks to his heart and mind, and shows him that the king he just anointed, the king of Syria, was going to attack Israel. And Elisha was distraught. Oh my God, have he, has he missed it? But what he didn't realize at the moment was that God was going to use this enemy, Hazael, to be the very king who would uproot the wicked king of Israel, Ahab, and pull him out of the throne so that Israel could be restored. That's not the way, that's not the process or the way that we think. You see, what I've found is when we stay humble, if we'll humble ourselves and quit trying to work everything out to the way that we want it, God can use flawed people. He can use broken people. He can use sinful people. He can even use your enemies to fulfill his purposes in this earth. Amen. Our role is to stay humble in what he is doing. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. You have an enemy, don't be afraid. God may turn and use them to bring about something glorious that you were unable to do on your own. Trust God. God's plans always involve more than you can currently see. Secondly, very quickly, stay obedient. Elijah would have to return to a life of obedience, of obedience. Stay obedient and leave the timing and the results to God. How many of you would consider yourself impatient people? 
Hold your hand up. What's wrong with the rest of you? You should be impatient too. Anyway, oh, I struggle with impatience. As a pastor now for over 30 years, I've found patience is actually one of the greatest gifts God gives people, gives leaders. But I will always want it happening faster. And I've got, I have ideas of how things should turn out, and they rarely do. God told Elijah, anoint your successor, the three things, anoint your successor, and God asked him to find and to anoint his replacement, Elisha. He was thinking generation. I want you to think about this in your acts of obedience. Anything that is built for the sake of the kingdom will have the potential to last from generation to generation. Anything that is simply built for yourself will end with you. You have to understand that a lot of the obedience that God is dealing with you about has nothing to do with you. It has a lot to do with the next generation. Whether it's in your family, in others, it's a longer-term plan than just a short-term result that we often look for. I've seen people, Pastor, I tithed, and, and you know, I, I didn't get my house payment last month that came in when I thought I would do that. There's a longer-term plan in this that we have to trust God and just be obedient. Um, Elijah's calling was bigger than his own life. I told you my, my son became our next senior pastor. To do that, I had to become obedient. People will come up and say to me, oh, isn't that exciting? I bet that's the fulfillment of a dream. That's the greatest thing. And it is. Oh, it's just joyful to see that. But can I be honest with you? I had some personal struggles going through it. My identity was wrapped up in this role for almost 30 years. And I remember as we were getting ready it just felt like dun 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 dun. Of course, Grant's over there. This is a day. This is a day that the Lord has made. <laughs> now that he's become senior pastor, he's like, I had no idea what I got into. <laughs> but I remember we had a three-week time of prayer and. Uh, in the church, fasting and prayer, and the Holy Spirit just directed me to take some extra time aside, and I was in the little place outside of town, and had been praying, and just my heart and my spirit were open to God, and, and the Holy Spirit, I believe, said to me, he said, Grant's ready, his time has come. And he, and that's part of what I was waiting for a release of, was that he was really ready, not perfect, but ready for this. And it didn't mean that day, but it meant start the execution of the, these plans. And so 15 months later, things began then, 15 months later, we would set him publicly as a pastor. You know what I said to God when he told me that? Grant is ready, his time has come. You know what I said? I would have liked to have told you, I said, yes, Lord, I will obey thy servant who has followed you 30 years We'll say yes to the word of the Lord. You know what I said? I said what most of us typically say when something like this happens. I said, but Lord, what about me? I'm just being honest. And if you're honest, you say that too with so many things. 
And I said, but Lord, what about me? I mean, honestly, I didn't think this was going to happen until five years later. And even then, I'd still be saying the same thing. And I said, Lord, what? I said, but Lord, what about me? I'm not done yet. And God spoke back to me in my heart, and he said this, Kirk, you'll never be done. I have more for you. And there was something liberating about that. But you know what I had to do? I had to be obedient. Did I struggle being obedient at times? Oh, yes. Did I think I had made a mistake at times? Oh, yes. Come on, how many of you have ever experienced buyer's regret before? Have you ever experienced obedience regret before? Giver's regret before? You said obedient, you were obedient, acted on your own. Oh, oh, can I take that back? I'm not ready for that. We have to stay obedient no matter what we feel and trust God. See, you're going to face these moments in your future or you're going through them right now. And when we're not obedient, we interrupt God's assignments, God's plans, God's whatever it may be. You see, I found when we don't see the results we want from our obedience, we struggle with remaining willing. If we're going to avoid interruptions, we have to stay obedient no matter how it feels, no matter how it looks, no matter what it costs us. I've learned some things about obedience to God, and one of them is our obedience is not always about our personal benefit. I've learned that many times our obedience is about bringing uh, a blessing to others. As a matter of fact, a great deal of our obedience is about a long-term generational plan. There is a lot of things you'll do for the Lord out of obedience. You'll never personally experience the results are the benefits. But one day your children will, your grandchildren will, your great-grandchildren will, others around you will because you were willing to say, yes, Lord, I will obey, I trust you, even when I do not understand what is going on. Come on, I want to be that kind of believer. How about you? See, this is how God works. God grants the callings and sets the timing. But this is the way we want him to work. We choose the callings and we set the timing. And it does not work that way. Finally, number three, the last point, we need to stay serving. Elijah had to return to serving. But we not only see it in Elijah, we see it in his protege, Elisha. Because in verse 21 of 1 Kings 19, it says, Then he, Elisha, set out to follow Elijah and become his servant. When Elijah would go on to heaven and Elisha would take his place, he would perform twice the miracles. In other words, he was a bigger deal than Elijah. But do you know what he was known for, his reputation was for, when he would be around the public and the community? It not, would not be, look at how much more he's done than Elijah. Look at what all he's done. Listen to what 2 Kings 3.11 says when Elisha, the younger, steps on the scene. It says, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. He wasn't known for all of his accomplishments. He was known for his serving. We have to stay serving no matter where we are in life. You see, uh, you should be known for your serving before you will be known for your gifting. Thank God for your gifting, your talents, your abilities, but you should be known for your serving 
before you will be known for your gifting. And the biggest callings of life begin with long seasons of serving. Can you stay humble? Can you stay obedient? Can you stay serving? Well, I don't believe that's the correct question. The question is not, can we? The question is, yeah, will we? Will we? Because these simple truths that Elijah and Elisha followed empowered them to overcome interruptions, to overcome disappointments, and to fulfill what God had for their life. You are too valuable to the kingdom of God to let the enemy interrupt you over a dripping water sink type experience. You're too important. You're too valuable. Thank you for listening. For more information about Healing Place Church, go to healingplacechurch.org or give us a call at 225-753-2273.